Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with someone from the Columbus Metropolitan Library about what they're up to these days. Then to the Chancellor of Western Governors University, Ohio. In about 20 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10TV, Tracy Townsend will provide information on a number of topics, including the legacy of former Secretary of State Colin Powell, who died this month. Vaccine mandates, vaccines for kids aged 5 to 11, which could happen very soon, and a police levy in Pataskala. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with a CODA representative about a change in its fare structure that becomes available tomorrow that should help lower-income riders. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Ben Zanitsky, who is a spokesman for the Columbus Metropolitan Library. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to be here, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. We talk to Ben uh, every, I don't know, maybe six months or so. And uh, first, tell us about the library. How big is it? How many branches and that type of thing? We have uh, 23 library locations serving Franklin County. Uh, So that's Main Library downtown and 22 branches. And uh, we've been busy uh, renovating and rebuilding them. Uh, September, we opened our new Carl Road and Hilltop branches. Uh, We broke ground earlier this summer on our new Gahanna branch, and we expect it to open in early 2023. Just this past week, we unveiled the designs for our new Reynoldsburg branch. So like I said, you know, we've been busy uh, over the past decade or so. We've been renovating or rebuilding 14 of our 23 locations, including our main library downtown. So uh, for anybody interested, you can visit our website, columbuslibrary.org. Under the News tab, you can click New Buildings and, and find out more. And you can even check out our, our the new renderings that we just unveiled for our uh, Reynoldsburg branch, which we hope to open in 2023 or 2024. It's going to be incredible. I'm really excited about it. Excellent. What is the situation uh, as the pandemic continues with the libraries as far as uh, full availability and that type of thing? You know, we are we are fully open. Our, our customers are required to wear masks when inside of our buildings. Our staff are also, of course, wearing masks regardless of vaccination status. Um, you know, we're doing the best we can uh, to offer story times and programs. Um, but, but yeah, you know, our staff are, are eager to reconnect uh, with our customers and, and, and do so in a way that is safe for everybody. Uh, our school help centers are open after school at, at our locations, uh, giving K through 12 students uh, access to help with their homework. Uh, so you can learn more about that again on our website, columbuslibrary.org. Uh, under kids and teens, you can click school help to find the hours at the location nearest you. Uh, you know, we've been offering since the spring uh, free COVID-19 take-home testing kits. So um, for those interested, they've been obviously in high demand. So give us a call at 614-645-2275 to see the availability at the branch nearest you. We're doing the best we can to respond to the demand. But really, uh, you know, this pandemic has, has really shown people that libraries are more than just the home for books. We are here to respond to the needs of the community. And right now there are a lot of unique needs uh, and we're here to, to do what we can to help. Obviously we have 
grown our digital collection uh, of materials as well over the, the course of the last 19 months. So uh, we want to make sure that uh, our customers can access our materials from the comfort of their homes. We have a huge collection of ebooks and audiobooks. You can stream magazines, movies, music, all with your library card. So learn more at our website, columbuslibrary.org. It's not your parents' library, is it? <laughs> it certainly isn't. And, uh, to, you know, to go back to what I was saying about these new library buildings, once you step foot in them, you will really get a sense, oh, wait, these are not our parents' libraries anymore. <laughs> these really are uh, community centers, you know, where, where before these buildings were just a home for books. We really want these new libraries for the 21st century to be a home for people uh, who enjoy books and community gathering. You mentioned the digital collection, and you have teamed up with Columbus City Schools, and that has a lot to do with that. Yes, absolutely. This is such an incredible new partnership that we have with Columbus City Schools. So, you know, Columbus City Schools obviously is a huge school district here. I think it is, in fact, the biggest school district in Ohio, about 50,000 students. Uh, Each one of those students has a Google Chromebook, and this new partnership that we have struck with Columbus City Schools uh, gives those 50,000 students uh, access to our collection of e-books through a new app called Sora. S-O-R-A, that is preloaded onto their Chromebooks. Uh, You know, it it filters their access for age-appropriate material based on their grade level, but uh, they have, you know, access to tons and tons of e-books right there on their Chromebooks. Uh, A couple other really amazing features about this partnership is that teachers can actually assign reading homework through this app and even track students' progress. Uh, There's a dictionary in the app, so students can look up words they don't know. So this just went live. We're really excited about it. And really, it it removes barriers for students who might not have access to transportation to get to the library, and they don't need a library card. They can actually borrow these digital materials using their school ID. So again, this is hot off the presses um, and and is just a huge boon for, for students. I would guess, too, that as the years go by, you'd be able to monitor that to, to see trends uh, with literacy and that type of thing. That's right. That's right. You know, our, our, our hope is to, you know, help students uh, find success in, in reading and school and, uh, and college and career. So absolutely, we'll be keeping a close eye on it for sure. And you're teaming up with the Veterans Memorial. That's right. Uh, you know, November, we're celebrating uh, Veterans Day, but really it's we want to celebrate veterans all month long. We have a new partnership in place with the National Veterans Memorial and Museum every Wednesday from this Wednesday, November 3rd through December 8th. All library card holders can get free access to the National Veterans Memorial and Museum just by showing your library card. And uh, you show your library card at the ticket counter, you'll get free admission for up to two people. Uh, And of course, stop into your nearest Columbus Metropolitan Library location. We will have uh, displays with great book picks to honor veterans all month long. That's excellent. Now, talking with Ben Zanitsky, he's a spokesperson for the Columbus Metropolitan Library. The holidays are uh, fast approaching, and uh, 
the the scenery kind of changes at the at least at the main library for sure. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, you know, last year, obviously, with the the pandemic, we were unable to have our annual Huntington Holiday train display in our atrium at Main Library. We're excited to announce that it is returning this year. Uh, now, radio is obviously not the ideal medium to describe this display, but let me see if I can try and paint a picture for you. Uh, it is 600 square feet. Uh, includes multiple trains running on more than 280 feet of track, surrounded by more than 50 pounds of snowflakes. All the buildings are made of natural materials, so leaves, bark, seeds, pine cones, fungus, moss, uh, and it is just incredible. Some of these buildings are like a uh, six-foot-tall cathedral, an eight-foot-tall castle. It even includes a waterfall that pumps 600 gallons of water and hour. Uh, each one of these buildings took between one and three weeks to build. Uh, it's it's just jaw-dropping, and it takes two full days to set up. So uh, come on and see it. We're, it's actually going to be on display November 21st through January 9th. Of course, the first hour of parking in our garage here at Main Library is free, uh, but we'll have so many activities as well to kind of coincide with the Huntington Holiday train display. Just wait till you see this thing. It is truly awe-inspiring. We started talking a little bit about the pandemic, Ben, and uh, I'm curious, how is the library system doing financially? Has it suffered through all of this, or has your federal funding changed or state funding or anything? That's a great question. Obviously, you know, we have been impacted just like everybody else was impacted. Um, You know, we we, uh, instituted furloughs for staff early on in the pandemic. Um, So we're doing everything we can to remain financially viable. But yeah, we get, uh, you know, we we get our our financial funding from from levy tax dollars as well as from state funding from the Ohio uh, State Library Fund. So, um, you know, we're 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 doing okay. But of course, you know, we had to we had to kind of (laughs) trim trim around the edges here to make to make it work, especially during the, the height of the pandemic last year. What about staffing? Are you having problems with staffing levels at all? You know, we are we are continuing to hire. We have uh, a number of positions open on our careers page at columbuslibrary.org. Um, you know, this is a, a dynamic place to work, and, and uh, I work with, I'm fortunate enough to work with some incredible people who, uh, who, who consider this work uh, more than just a career, it's a lifelong passion. So we're 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 uh, we're doing okay, but of course we're always looking to to gain new talent here at the library. All right. Anything else you'd like to add? You know, it's always uh, it's never a bad time to get your library card. Uh, you know, you can sign up online or at any of our twenty three locations. We say it's the most valuable card in your wallet. But uh, you know, if if you haven't been in in a while, to, I hope you'll come see us, put on a mask, and uh, and check out some great books. It's excellent. Uh, again, Ben Zanitsky, he's a spokesman for the Columbus Metropolitan Library. Good to check in with you again, Ben. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Dave. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is K.L. Allen, who is the chancellor of WGU Ohio, Western Governors University, Ohio. How are you? I'm doing outstanding. How are you doing today? 
I'm good. Thanks for talking to us. Western Governors University. It is a, a nonprofit, private, online university, and it's been around quite a while, but is fairly new here in Ohio, right? That, that is correct. We are nationally been around since 1997. We became a state affiliate in Ohio in 2018. So we've been around for just over three years. It's been growing, and I've read that it was 19 governors that, that formed it back in the 90s, and there have been eight or ten more states, including Ohio, that have come on board since. Yeah, correct. And so when you, when you think about state affiliates now, we sit at around ten state affiliates. Um, also, we started, when you said the word growth, it made me start thinking about how our student enrollment in the state of Ohio has, has grown so much. If, if you think about when I started this role back in, in May of 2020, we sat at just over 3,200 students, and now we are sitting at over 4,400 students and, uh, you know, close to 7,000 alumni in the great state of Ohio. Wow, that's tremendous. And we're going to get into a little bit about what you offer uh, here in a few minutes. But uh, this time of year, you undertake kind of a neat effort to uh, salute nurses in Ohio. That is correct. It's, uh, I mean, sadly, we've still continued to endure the pandemic. And, you know, this time of the year, we, we call it our night. Um, shift nurse campaign, where on November the 7th, there's daylight saving times. Um, we have to also think about the nurses in healthcare, is that they have to actually work an additional hour. And so we put kits together to just show our appreciation for the hard work that they do. I mean, they already deserve appreciation anyway, but having to work an extra hour, you know, to deal with anyone that's coming into the emergency room, um, just coming in to see them, they take that extra hour and still stay focused and dedicated. So this is our time just to show that extra appreciation to provide things such as handwritten notes, sleep mask, coffee, lip balm, and just like post-it notes. It's just our way to show an appreciation for all the hard work they've done and continue to do during the pandemic. And one last thing that, that I wanted to say about our night shift nurse campaign, we've actually created a $4,000 scholarship as well and so for those individuals that are looking for that, you know, extra motivation, we also wanted to make it easier for them to come back to school as well. Nursing is one of the fields that you offer at Western Governors University. That, that is correct. And so we have um, four distinct colleges. We have the College of Healthcare, which includes nursing. We have the College of IT, Business College, and we also have Teachers College. And so we offer undergraduate and graduate degrees. I'm at those colleges. Two of those fields in particular, teaching and nursing, are both fields right now where there's a great, great need for people. It's a huge need. There's a shortage. Uh, you know, my, mom, my mom was a teacher, and I'm a firm believer that, I mean, we wouldn't be where we are to this day without teachers. We're always teaching. Um, nurses do so much health care. And so those are definitely in-demand fields that will continue to be in demand. And so these are, you know, great fields along with IT. Um, as well as, you know, continue to improve business. So we feel we have those in-demand careers that can help individuals advance. And also, you know, we have a great ROI as we keep our company-based education program low, affordable, as well as accessible. Talking with K.L. Allen, he's chancellor of Western Governors University, Ohio. You mentioned that it started back in the 90s, and, you know, back then... The whole idea of online learning was, even just the internet, was new for most people back then. So it's a university that has been applauded for its innovation. Indeed, indeed. It's um, an analogy that, that I like to utilize is that at one point in time, for those who are old enough to remember, there was a payphone on every corner. And now if you look at it, you rarely see the payphone. You now see everyone essentially has a cell phone. 
and I like to call us kind of the, you know, the cell phone of education. We've evolved as people, people are busy. People have family responsibilities. They have to continue to work. Um, and, and, and life continues to move faster. So we've set it up, what we call ourselves the University of You, that we've built around your schedule so individuals can be successful and not having to be burdened and going to class at 6 p.m., 7 p.m. You spend time with your family, you go to work, and then you can also go to school around your schedule. And being competency-based lends into that as well. Can you kind of explain what, what it means to be competency-based? Sure. And so with us, um, we don't have grades. We don't have seat time. So we remove the seat time aspect. We focus on competency. You know, for instance, if, if I brought in now a, a tire, it may take different people at different times, you know, to change that tire. And that's the same way education. It's not a cookie-cutter approach. We realize that people have different skill sets. And so when you master that skill, you move forward. As soon as you show mastery, you move forward. So again, we're not based upon seat time, quarters or semesters. When you demonstrate mastery, which is at a B level and higher, you move forward. So if it takes you a year to complete your degree, it takes you a year. If it takes you three years, it takes you three years. But with the different experiences we see, as over 90% of our students come in with transfer credits, we see people go through that program as time is a valuable commodity. And we also give time back and create an ROI for education. You mentioned that there are thousands right now uh, that are enrolled in Western Governors University, Ohio. What I, I know it would probably run the gamut as far as ages go, but what would a typical student look like? Our average age is around 37. They have transfer credit. They're working. They're looking to move up in their career. Or they were individuals that had some credits and never received a degree. And then they say, hey, now is time. There's a university built for me. There's a university that cares about my busy schedule. And then it's also exciting to see when I talk to alumni across the great state of Ohio to say, hey, now my kid is looking at going to school because they saw me complete it. Or maybe a parent saw their kid go back to school. We've had instances where a a father and son or a a daughter and and son came back to school. And so you start thinking about the positive impact that we have on on the economy as well as generations. And that's what education is about is green pathways to opportunity. That's great. And being nonprofit, I'm guessing that it is on the affordable side. It is affordable. So you, you think about an undergraduate degree for a year, and you're looking at, on average, around $7,000 a year on average for an undergraduate degree. And that's broken down into six terms, so it's about $3,500 a term. We make sure that it's accessible as well as affordable. You think about our graduate degrees on average at around $7,500 a year. And so, you know, you have people talk about, you know, the debt, the student loan debt. We have made sure that education is affordable. And, and again, we don't have those sports teams. We don't have, you know, campuses. And so that's where we're able to keep our costs low because we realized we had to create something different for the learners in the state of Ohio. And student loans, all that type of thing available as well, right? Yes. And so, you know, you, you are eligible to apply for FAFSA. We also have a lot of great scholarships that we, that we give out. Um, we have, again, some $4,000 scholarships, $2,500 scholarships related to all of our four colleges. And so I definitely encourage everyone to check out our website at ohio.wgu.edu and, and take advantage of the scholarship opportunities that we have for you. Talking with K.L. Allen. He's chancellor of uh, Western Governors University, Ohio, WGU, Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? Hey, just again, all of those nurses, educators, thank you for all you do. 
um, everyone in the great state of Ohio that's, um, that's gave us the opportunity to educate them. We thank them, and we look forward to continue to serve our great state here. Great. Thanks so much for the information. Hey, thank you as well. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Colin Powell dedicated his extraordinary life to public service because he never stopped believing in America. The current U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, speaks out about a man who once held the position. As the nation mourns the loss of Colin Powell, hear from some Ohioans who worked closely with him. Next month, kids as young as five years old could get the COVID-19 vaccine. We look at how the state is preparing for this next phase of shots. Mm, And not quite right. How aviation experts helped get a mistake on the Ohio license plate fixed and fast. Thank you for joining us for Face the State today. I'm Tracy Townsend. A nation in mourning over the loss of its first black secretary of state. Colin Powell died from COVID-19 complications. The public servant and general passed away at 84 years old. Governor Mike DeWine, who served in the U.S. Senate when Powell was secretary of state, had this to say about Powell's death. I had the opportunity to work with him uh, in regard to helping people with AIDS, uh, particularly Haiti. Uh, So had a lot of good memories of my relationship with him. Uh, We've lost a true American hero today. 10TV's Richard Solomon spoke with a Central Ohio man who says Powell inspired him. So many words can be said about Colin Powell, the first black secretary of state, former Joint Chiefs, a Vietnam veteran. But for Leonard Hubert, just just a, a man of integrity. Powell was his inspiration. One would consider a true patriot. Hubert had the pleasure of meeting Powell years ago, several occasions. He was someone who actually spoke volumes of, of, of the work uh, that he was doing and took pride and honor in doing it. Hubert himself even walking in Powell's footsteps as the first black person to ever hold the position of state agency director for the USDA Ohio Farm Service Agency in 2017 under the Trump administration. Those of us who happen to be Afro-Americans on the Republican side uh, was able to look at and say, wow, if he can do that, uh, certainly we can excel in any endeavor. Paying respect for the former Secretary of State, even here in Columbus. His legacies will be remembered um, uh, as who he really was. Powell served four top roles under four presidents, A man with many titles, and Hubert knows the work he accomplished will last for years to come. I'm so proud that I have had this chance to serve my nation. In Columbus, Richard Solomon, 10TV News. 
Those who knew Colin Powell say he was larger than life. Peter Mansour, the chair of military history at The Ohio State University, met Powell twice. He spoke with 10TV's Kevin Landers about Powell's legacy. He was uh, a man of character, and that uh, definitely comes through uh, when you meet him in person. Retired United States Army officer and military historian Professor Peter Mansour says the passing of Colin Powell is a loss for the nation. Colin Powell's legacy will be that he served the country to the best of his ability in uniform and as a civilian. He was the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, during a, a very tumultuous time that included the end of the Cold War and the first Gulf War. Powell rose from humble beginnings to become one of the nation's greatest military leaders. Well, this is the great success story. He grew up in the South Bronx. His parents were Jamaican immigrants. He went through um, New York public schools. And this is really, I think, a great example uh, for young people to emulate that you don't necessarily have to be a child of means to succeed, um, provided you work hard. Powell was the national security advisor to President Ronald Reagan at the end of the Cold War. As chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he was the architect of the invasion of Panama in 1989 and of the Persian Gulf War in 1991, which ousted Saddam Hussein from Kuwait but left him in power in Iraq. An interesting legacy as a military leader, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily for invading Iraq. Uh, you know, he, he kind of put the brakes on uh, the first Bush administration made them really think through uh, the support of the American people for that conflict. In February of 2003, Powell addressed the nation to support the decision to evade Iraq, in which he detailed Saddam Hussein's possession of weapons of mass destruction. After troops invaded in March of that year, it was clear the intelligence was wrong. Powell later called it a blot on his record. That he should have interrogated the intelligence more closely and... Um, and had he done so, maybe the outcome of that uh, that time might have been different. The invasion of Iraq being probably the greatest strategic mistake in the history of the United States. When Powell left office, he devoted his time to helping young people. In 1997, he founded America's Promise to help at-risk children. He would go on to win the Medal of Freedom twice. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Powell was a Republican who supported Senator Barack Obama when he ran for president. During his time as chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he oversaw 28 crises. He was forced to resign by George W. Bush when he was reelected in 2004. Powell was fully vaccinated when he died. A spokesperson at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, where he passed, said his immune system had been compromised by multiple myeloma, for which he'd been undergoing treatment. Some people are saying his death is proof that COVID-19 vaccines are not working. Governor DeWine says Powell's death actually proves the opposite. It's been written by some doctors who referenced uh, the tragedy of Colin Powell dying and what are the lessons there. And this is not original with me. I've read it a number of different places. But, uh, you know, what doctors say is one of the lessons is uh, that if we want to prevent people who are in their 80s or who have much, much younger, who have significant medical problems uh, from getting really sick, um, you know, the most important thing we can do is to continue, all of us, to continue to get vaccinated. Our Verified team dug deeper into the science behind the rare deadly breakthrough cases. Here's Evan Koslov. 
Following the passing of General Colin Powell, we've seen a lot of rumors spreading on social media. So we want to stick to the facts. His family wrote on Facebook that he died due to complications from COVID-19 and that he was fully vaccinated. For that reason, some online are using this as an opportunity to cast doubt on vaccine effectiveness. So let's verify by looking at the data. Our main source is the CDC, which has loads of data on hospitalizations and deaths. We also got some added context from Dr. William Schaffner from Vanderbilt University. According to the CDC, as of October 12th, more than 7,000 people died and just under 25,000 went to the hospital with COVID after being fully vaccinated. And obviously that sounds pretty scary, but we have to consider that this is a very small percentage of people that got the shot. The CDC says over 189 million people have been fully vaccinated nationwide, meaning that the chances of being hospitalized with COVID after getting the shot is 0.01%, and the chance of death is 0.004%. That's like one out of 10,000 vaccinated people going to the hospital and four out of 100,000 dying, meaning it's not just rare, it's very rare. As for those who are unvaccinated, the rates of hospitalization and death are far greater. Well over 90% of people who are hospitalized today with serious COVID are the unvaccinated among us. Over 90%. Take this graph from the CDC showing a snapshot of COVID death rates from 16 jurisdictions over a four-month period. In August alone, they estimate that an unvaccinated person was 11.3 times more likely to die from COVID. Simply put, some breakthrough cases are inevitable, but it's a far lower rate than if you aren't vaccinated. With your Verify, I'm Evan Kozlov. And if you have something you want us to verify, email us at verify at 10tv.com or send us a message on social media. Thousands of business owners across the country are getting ready for guidance from the Occupational Safety and Health Administration on President Biden's vaccine mandate announced last month. As the Department of Labor finalizes the text, 10TV's Clay Gordon talked with the Ohio Chamber of Commerce to see where it stands on the topic. Federal regulations and possibly state laws requiring or preventing vaccine mandates for employees. 318,000 employers in Ohio should be able to regulate the health and safety of their private property, their business, the way they see fit. President and CEO of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, Steve Stiver, says the chamber opposes all of it. Here's why. While 99.5% of our members will likely never mandate a vaccine, Uh, We believe if they think it's important enough, they should be able to. And frankly, the free market will hold them accountable if they do. Customers may choose not to do business with them or may choose to do more business with them. Cost also comes into play with COVID-19 testing. If an employee chooses not to get vaccinated and then they have to be tested as a result of it, the employee who made that choice should pay that cost. And other employees may be footing the bill for unvaccinated coworkers. If you want to talk about the single most influential factor in increasing everyone's insurance premiums next year, it's going to be people who don't get their vaccination. The Kaiser Family Foundation says between June and August of this year, preventable COVID-related hospitalizations amongst vaccinated adults has cost more than $5 billion. An average hospitalization for COVID-19 costs $50,000, and your average shot costs nothing. The unvaccinated people have a higher chance of going to the hospital than vaccinated people, because even though a a very small number of vaccinated people will still get a breakthrough case of COVID, in most cases, they don't get particularly sick and definitely don't go to the hospital and incur big bills. 
And again, that was Clay Gordon reporting. Now, parents are waiting for the FDA to approve the COVID-19 vaccine for kids between the ages of five to 11. And the state is getting ready to give those shots. Governor DeWine detailed the plan. The first week, a COVID-19 vaccine is approved for that age group. 347,000 doses will arrive here in our state. Providers have already put in orders for 172,000 doses. All children, all children's hospitals rather, will send out notices to parents and patients. And roughly 25% of school districts will offer vaccine clinics. Columbus Public Health is also outlining some plans for vaccinating children, again in that same age range, 5 to 11. The health department's administrators say once it's approved by the FDA, the plan is to make it accessible for parents. And that means having evening and weekend hours for the vaccine clinic. Dr. Mashika Roberts says the order is already in for those vaccines. We have two clinics right now that have evening hours. And so that will be um, accessible to the 5 to 11-year-olds for parents to bring their kids um, during those evening hours. We are also in the process of partnering with Nationwide Children's Hospital and looking to see if we can tag team some Saturday hours. That would also allow those working parents um, more time to get their kids in. Ohio will expand the opportunity for those younger kids to enter for a chance to win the thousands of dollars in college scholarships as an incentive. Election Day, November 2nd, will be here before we know it. Up next, we take a look at one of the levies on the ballot and how it could impact policing in Pataskala. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff management or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Staffing issues are straining all kinds of industries. The Pataskala Police Department says without the approval of a ballot issue next month, more and more officers will likely leave. Pataskala has had a 1% income tax over the last 10 years that has helped the police department. Well, now the city is asking for a 1.5% tax to stop the bleeding within the department. 10TV's Brian Somerville talks with an officer who says it's needed. It's a flat sign causing a vicious circle. First and foremost, uh, we don't have enough officers. Chief Deputy Michael Bowles says full staff is 23 officers, a number the department hasn't seen since January of 2020. Since 1996, PPD has employed 74 full-time officers. So that should give you an idea of the amount of turnover that we've had. Currently, PPD has about two officers per shift, covering almost 30 square miles and 143 road miles. And that doesn't cut it. It makes us reactive um, and takes away our our ability to be proactive and, and try to get to some things before they become a problem. It's competitive, recruiting, training, but most of all, pay. Pataskala has the lowest hourly rate of pay in Licking County, which means even though they are training officers with a high turnover and low pay, PPD training. That's correct is setting officers up nicely for other jobs. Extremely aggravating, especially because when you look at the time that we have invested in these individuals to get them hired and trained, you know, you're literally looking at about a seven-month turnaround to hire a new officer. Consider this. In 1996, Pataskala's population was 9,000. In 2021, it's doubled. In 96, there were 20 officers. Today, there's 22. 
In November, Pataskala will vote on a 1.5% income tax. If passed, it would up hourly rates, bring on six new officers, and equip them with gear, cruisers, and computers. If you're thinking this sounds familiar, let's refocus. Obviously very disappointing for us. To March of 2020, when the measure failed by a 60 to 40% vote, 20 months removed, the department prepares to go back to the polls, nervous. Yeah, I would say so. Knowing without these changes, officers will continue to leave. Losing them at the rate that we do, it's just, it's impossible to keep up. And services to people who live here will be on the line. In Pataskala, Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. Pataskala has also been offering a hotline for people to call to get information about the issue and specifically what it means if passed. You can find that number with this story at 10tv.com. The Pataskala police levy is just one of several levies voters will weigh in on. Franklin County, Upper Arlington and Franklin Township also have police levies on the ballot, as well as towns in Delaware, Fairfield and Union Counties. 10TV partnered with The Dispatch to put together a 2021 voter's guide. You can get a link sent straight to your phone. Just text the word VOTE to 614-460-3345. U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown getting behind candidates in two key two key 2022 races. Senator Brown endorsed state mayor Nan Whaley for governor. I've known Nan for years. I've seen her deal with some of the toughest problems that any mayor could deal with. KKK rallies, tornadoes, mass shooting, and now a pandemic. Dayton has been strong with good, strong leadership. John Cranley is another Democrat who's running for governor. On the Republican side, Governor Mike DeWine is running for re-election. He's up against Central Ohio farmer and business owner Joe Blystone and former U.S. Congressman and former U.S. Senate candidate Jim Renacci. Now, just last week, Senator Sherrod Brown announced that he's backing U.S. Congressional Rep. Tim Ryan to flip the open Senate seat that's going to be left open by Rob Portman. The seat is left open by, again, Portman. Portman's retiring. Attorney Morgan Harper is also running on the Democratic side of that race. So that's a race we'll watch and report to you. On the Republican side, the contenders there, those are the candidates. They include former Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel, author and venture capitalist J.D. Vance, former state Republican chair Jane Timken, and also car dealer Bernie Moreno and investment banker Mike Gibbons. Former President Trump's former aide could soon face some charges after he was held in contempt of Congress last week. Steve Bannon refused to comply with the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. The House of Representatives voted to hold Bannon in contempt of Congress. Nine Republicans voted yes, including Ohio's Anthony Gonzalez. Most Republicans say that the committee did not have the right to issue a subpoena in the first place. Among them, Ohio's Jim Jordan. His work helped inspire the film The Butler. Well, now he's promoting a new book in Columbus, how his experience in the capital city inspired him. There are no words to describe it. The isolation. The boredom. The loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. 
That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the Ohio High School Athletic Association and the Ohio Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. A Columbus native's work helped inspire a 2013 film you might have seen. I'm Cecil Gaines. I'm the new button. You hear nothing. You see nothing. You only serve. You know he got that job himself. The White House called him. He didn't call the White House. Oh, The Butler stars Forrest Whitaker, Oprah Winfrey, and John Cusack. That movie was inspired by an article in the Washington Post called A Butler Well Served by This Election. And the author of that article is Columbus native Will Haygood. The East High School graduate was back in town to promote his new book. It's called Colorization, 100 Years of Black Films in a White World. And it profiles 100 years of black movies from Gone with the Wind to Black Panther. Haygood looks at the struggles and the triumphs of the artists and the films themselves as a prism to explore black culture and racism in America. I think the entire country um, was forced to wake up in light of the George Floyd murder. You know, we, we all were heartbroken by it. It was in public. It was a very public murder. Um, you know, we have serious issues with law enforcement and minorities in this country. That problem has to be fixed. It must be fixed. And then we had the January 6th insurrection uh, in Washington, D.C. You know. And so, you know, there are certain people in this country who seem to not want the country to survive with its with this Bill of Rights, with this U.S. Constitution, and with its civil rights laws, you know. And so we have to look at these issues. Why are these things happening in this country? And I think that that moment is here. Martin Luther King Jr. had famously said that if America is destroyed, it will be destroyed from within, not from without. Now, you know, those are Martin Luther King Jr.'s words decades ago. And so here we are now wondering if we can survive as a nation. It's a very serious, it's the most serious issue that we all have to face right now. We have a link to the book at 10tv.com slash featured links. A mistake on Ohio's new license plate design took over Twitter. So the first version, which the state acknowledges, is incorrect. The right flyer 
in the first version, it's backwards, pushing the banner instead of pulling it. Unless you're an expert in aviation, perhaps you didn't even notice that error. But as 10TV's Lindsay Mills explains, many people did catch it. Fran and I have a particular interest in the Wright brothers uh, because they are from Dayton. Uh, they did their initial work in Dayton. Governor Mike DeWine um, unveiled a new design for Ohio's license plate. According to Ohio BMV Registrar Charlie Norman, he says his team was behind the design and it was done in-house by staff. Here's a look at the plate that was unveiled earlier in the day, the first version. This image actually shows the flyer pushing the banner instead of pulling it. Essentially, it's backwards. Here's how we know. This is an image of the flyer from the Wright Brothers National Memorial Visitor Center in North Carolina. Orville Wright is pictured flying the plane. The smaller part is in the front. Also, we talked to Brian Stromkowski, the assistant director for the Center of Aviation Studies at Ohio State University. Being in aviation, when I when I see that image, I, I notice right away that the airplane is turned around backwards. And I, I think that's just natural um, to assume that in, in modern day because we're so used to seeing the, the small part of the airplane, right, that back wing on the back of the airplane. The state has acknowledged the error. In a statement to 10TV, an Ohio Department of Public Safety spokeswoman writes, we are aware that the plane on the new Ohio license plate unveiled was oriented in the wrong direction. We regret this mistake and have fixed the image. This is the correct design that will be reflected on all new plates issued to Ohio drivers. And we thank Lindsay Mills for that story. Last year, DeWine signed a bill that created 33 specialty license plates, but the new design marks the first update our state has made to its standard license plate since 2013. In the meantime, we say thank you so much for joining us here today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. The strength of our country hasn't just been won on the battlefield. It's won every day in our communities when we come together in our toughest times. For over 100 years, the American Legion has been strengthening communities across our nation by providing life-saving help and support to our veterans and neighbors during times like we're facing today. We are the American Legion, veterans strengthening America. To learn how you can help, visit legion.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Jeff Pullen. He's the Public and Media Relations Manager for CODA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing well. I hope you're well. Good. Thanks for talking to us. Yeah, uh, everything's good. Uh, we talked to you just a few weeks ago, and at that time you were talking about some changes that were coming to CODA, and we're going to get into more detail about that. But before we do that, tell us in a nutshell what CODA is. Well, CODA is uh, the Central Ohio Transit Authority, which is uh, a lot of people um, think of it as the city's uh, bus system, but um, we also do more than that. We also uh, do paratransit for those who are senior or living with disabilities. We also provide microtransit in several zones around the area. So we consider ourselves the region's mobility solutions provider, meaning that if there is a need for mobility, we try to work with you to find that solution. When we talked to you last month, you said that the bus routes were back up uh, in terms of total passengers were nearing the 
50% mark of uh, pre-pandemic levels. Is it continuing to ramp up? Yeah, we used to do about 60,000 trips a day. We're about uh, 35,000 trips a day. So you were a little more than half. Um, we continue to work to build up our system. We're obviously dealing with the same workforce challenges that other industries are facing, and that includes uh, the need for uh, transit operators. But we're working on trying to get as many of them hired as possible and trained uh, and get them out. And um, hopefully we will be able to continue to grow our system in the coming years, trying to get back from uh, what we've lost during the pandemic. There's still a lot of people who are working those, uh, you know, those working remotely or uh, doing the hybrid system where they work a couple of days um, in the office and a couple of days remotely. Uh, we're going to continue to see that through the end of the year. I think more businesses will be bringing uh, people back full time to their offices in 2022. But, you know, a lot of people have also learned that they can do the same business remotely. So we will have to adjust with that as well. Talking with Jeff Pullen from Coda, you uh, are going through some pretty sweeping changes that have a big impact on riders. Yeah, well, one of the things that we are doing is working to make our fare system more equitable. Um, the, the way that a lot of people pay for transit is by the trip, uh, because that's either what they have access to, they don't have access to purchasing passes ahead of time, or they can't afford that cost up front. So... For example, many you know some of our customers are paying for two or three or three or four trips a day, which means they're paying six or eight dollars a day when a daily pass is four dollars and fifty cents. Uh, on a larger scale, they're paying you know when that adds up over the month. So if you're paying eight dollars a day over fifteen twenty days, you're going to end up paying a little more than a hundred dollars a month when a monthly pass that you pay for up front is only $62. So we needed to we needed to sit down and figure out a way that our customers could still pay as they go, but be able to take advantage of those daily and monthly rates uh, because transit should be the same for everyone, and that includes price. And in order to make that viable, you need ways for people to be able to access that regardless of whether they maybe have a cell phone or not. Right. Uh, the way that we, our, our new fare payment system includes both uh, the option of a uh, app on your smartphone, but also a smart card. So you can download the transit app. Uh, it's really simple to set up an account. You need your first, your last name, um, and an email address. Uh, and then you can link it to a bank account. You can link it to a credit card or a debit card, or you can go to a retail location and load cash onto it. But we also know that there are customers that um, don't have cell phones. So we've created a Coda smart card that you'll be able to get at the Customer Experience Center uh, at Coda at 33 North High Street in downtown Columbus. And you'll be able to do the exact same thing, set up an account, link it to a, link it to a bank account or a debit or credit card, or you'll be able to go to a re uh, retail location and load cash onto it. But when you do use this, even though there's those extra steps of getting started, it will, whenever you go to pay on the bus, which you'll just tap the card or the app um, on the validator, um, it will keep track of how much you're spending. So when you hit $4.50 uh, a day, it will stop charging you for the rest of the day. You 
can go on any uh, bus or any route for the rest of the day at no additional charge. And when you get to $62 for the month, it stops charging you for the rest of the month. So if you hit $62 on November 20th, uh, the next 11 days are no charge and you can go anywhere you want. So it's really important while there's that added step of getting started and there might be an added step of loading money onto that uh, app or smart card, it's really going to save some of our customers hundreds of dollars a year. Yeah, if you're capping it at 62 a month, and as you mentioned, some people are paying that $2 fare several times a day, so that would that adds up in a hurry. Yeah, if you think about that, um, even if you just use it a couple of times a month, you're getting that daily fare capping at $4.50. So if you use... If you use it three or four times a day, even a couple of months, you're going to save money on day one just on the daily rate. There's another added benefit of having this system. Whenever you pay two, you know, two dollars through this app or the or the smart card, when you pay that two dollar fare, that fare every time is good for two hours. So that two dollars means that you can go on any transit line in any direction for the next two hours. So you could conceivably get on the bus, uh, pay your fare, go to the grocery store, stop at the convenience store, load money onto your account, get back on a bus and go back home. And if you do that within two hours, it's only $2. So it's going to save people money just there. Talking with Jeff Pullen from Coda. Now, people who use the smart cards, uh, I understand they'll be able to load money on that all over town. The smart cards or the app, if that's what you choose, we know that there are customers who either don't have bank accounts or they don't really feel comfortable linking their bank account or their credit card or their check or their checking card to um, a mobile account or a smart card. And we understand that. That's why we have created a huge retail network here in Franklin County. We're talking every neighborhood where Coda Transit is available. There will be several retail locations where you can walk in and put money on that app or the smart card and use it immediately. Big chain convenience stores or gas stations or pharmacies, also those corner stores in your neighborhood, uh, places where a lot of people already make digital payments on other things. You can walk in, uh, hand over your card or uh, show them a QR code on your smartphone. Hand over the cash. You can do as much as little as $2, as much as $150. That, they will put that on your account, and it's immediate. So you can walk out to the nearest transit stop and catch the bus. You know, for folks who maybe are not savvy at this kind of stuff, it's, it's a little bit complex for them. How are you trying to roll this out? And it, obviously, you're trying to get the word out right now through this, but how else are you doing it? Yeah, so I want to begin by saying, you know, answering that by saying we are not pulling the rug out from anybody. On November 1st, if you need to still use cash on board, cash is available on board. Uh, if you if you have a uh, paper pass that you've purchased, whether it's a day pass or a seven-day pass or 31-day pass, you can still use those. As a matter of fact, we want you to use what you've spent already when it comes to those paper passes. Um, but we, So we know it's going to take a lot of education in our community. We're ro- on November 1st, we're rolling out a huge marketing campaign. So you'll see signage at transit stops. You'll see it on social media. 
uh, you will be, we will be launching um, a big kickoff uh, event here on November 1st from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Customer Experience Center here at 33 North High Street. We will walk you through the entire process of setting up accounts and how to use it. Um, we also will be doing some outreach to with some pop-up events at transit, uh, transit centers and um, at libraries across the region over the next several weeks. And then we're going to actually be hopping on buses, talking with uh, customers as they're heading to or from work or their errands, and they will be able to sign up right there. Nobody's, you know, we invite people to come and check it out. You're not obligated to join right away, but get the information and see how you are going to be able to benefit from it. Any idea, Jeff, how much money this is going to save people? You know, it depends on the user. Like, if you are a person who uses transit a couple of times a day, it will benefit you just by that two-hour fare availability because some people use it uh, within two hours to go in opposite directions and they're spending four bucks. So it's going to save them a couple of dollars just doing that. But for our most loyal customers who are using it three or four times a day, more than about 15 times a month, they could ultimately save around $200 a year um, just by by using this system because they're going to get the benefits of the two-hour fare, they're going to get a benefit at a day rate, and they're also going to get at that monthly $62 rate. Uh, if you think about this, no customer in Central Ohio will ever pay more than $4.50 a day or $62 in a month. And that is just not something that has ever happened before. So it sounds like this would be a revenue reduction for CODA. Do you have any idea how much uh, that would be for the system uh, over the course of a year? Yeah, I believe the estimate is around $1.8 million, But we also know that we can look, we know that more people are going to be interested in this. We have a lot of customers who have always wanted to use CODA, but they don't carry cash. So we're hoping that that will generate more people's interest in using public transportation. Also, we know that this is something we have to do as a public service to the community. No one should ever be paying more than somebody else for transit. So we're really not looking at that margin. We're really looking at what our mission is, and that is to provide equity and public transportation. And And quite frankly, it's just the right thing to do. With all the reduction in ridership, is CODA coming through the pandemic all right? Did you get, uh, you know, an uh, extra federal funding to deal with it and that type of thing? Yeah, we, we did receive um, some funding from uh, some of the stimulus that was passed through uh, over the past uh, year and a half. Uh, that has helped us continue our mission of providing more mobility. Uh, we know that that is not something that is permanent. We're not going to get that every year. So we do work to be uh, very smart with how we're spending, but also making sure that we are providing service that is helpful to get people to their own jobs and to their own health care and schools and homes, but also make sure that we are finding ways to make the process equitable, uh, including how much they're paying when they get on board. Talking with Jeff Pullen, Public and Media Relations Manager for CODA. Anything else you'd like to add, Jeff? No, I, I, I invite people starting November 1st to check us out at Coda.com. You can find out all the information on how to set up for this new uh, way of paying. And just stop by and at the Customer Experience Center or join one of our pop-up events. All of that is listed on our website. And we can walk you through the process and show you the benefits of using this new way to pay. 
All right. Jeff, sounds good. Thanks a lot for the information. Thank you. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.